reading, first of all, from uh, the Old Testament, from the book of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And these words from the Gospel of Luke. After Jesus went on ahead and went up to Jerusalem, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down on the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I think just about everybody loves a parade, whether it's the Rose Parade in Pasadena on New Year's Day or Macy's Thanksgiving Day in New York City. A parade is always fun to, to watch. It's a lot more fun, actually, if you're there rather than on TV. I, I find it a bit dry. But nevertheless, uh, we watch it. And imagine if you were there, I mean, the, the thrill would, would really be watching that first marching band turn the first corner and striking up a tune. Yeah, everybody, I think, loves a parade. It must have been quite a parade that day on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Of course, there were no marching bands, no elaborate floats, no men in 
motorized scooters picking up after Jesus' donkey? <laughs> you just picture it, can't you? But the excitement and the enthusiasm were certainly there. Uh, Jesus had become quite popular among the people. Uh, news had spread rather rapidly of this remarkable teacher. And uh, uh, news also came out about some of his miraculous feats. And perhaps there were some in the crowd who actually witnessed some of those. So people lined the streets as Jesus approached the city. And they placed their garments on the road to honor him. And they cut down palm branches and waved them, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. So why palm branches, you may ask. Palm Sunday, what's with the palm branches? Well, in ancient times, palm branches symbolize goodness, and well-being, and victory. They were often depicted on coins and uh, on important buildings. King Solomon had palm branches carved into the walls and doors of the temple. And interestingly, at the end of the Bible and book of Revelation, we have a description of John's vision of people from every nation raising palm branches to honor Jesus. So we read in the book of Revelation, John says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. Palm Sunday even at the end, right? The book of Revelation. Honoring Jesus as king. So it was fitting that Jesus should be honored as he entered Jerusalem by laying down palm branches all along the parade route. But are you aware that Jesus planned this parade for himself? I think if it had been anyone else, we would have thought it would be the height of conceit. Totally arrogant. I mean, can you imagine planning a parade for yourself through the downtown streets of Mukilteo? Now, politicians may do this sort of thing, but not normal people. It's an amazing thing about Jesus, though, when you think about it. Even though he made incredible claims for himself, you never really had the sense that he was arrogant, that he was conceited. His humility always seemed to shine through. Jesus planned a parade for himself, and he did so without conceit. And he planned it quite deliberately and intentionally. He timed his entrance into Jerusalem uh, to coincide with a celebration of the, of the Jewish Passover, a time when the city would have been crowded with pilgrims from all over the world. So Jesus assured himself of some sort of a, a, an audience. And Jesus arranged his own transportation. He sent his disciples into town looking for a particular donkey colt upon which no one had ever ridden. And there's a particular reason why Jesus picked this particular mode of transportation, and I'll explain uh, in a minute about that. But it's enough to say right now that Jesus put a lot of thought into making his grand entrance into town. But why a parade? Because it just seems so unlike 
Jesus. Although he often spoke to the crowds, people naturally swarmed around him, especially after performing a miracle or two. Jesus really preferred one-on-one relationships. He was happiest talking to a woman at the well in the heat of the day, or talking theology with a curious Pharisee by night, or healing a deaf man away from the crowd. He generally tried to keep a generally low profile. And often when he healed somebody or helped somebody, he would almost invariably tell them, don't tell anybody about this. Tell no one. One time after a miracle, it was a a feeding of thousands. Uh, the, The people wanted to put a crown on his head. They wanted to make him king right then and there. And Jesus made a fast move away. Wouldn't have anything to do with it. So why does Jesus now want to attract all of this attention, the attention of a parade of all things? Quite simply, his hour had finally come. Jesus now knew his time was short. The shadow of the cross was falling upon his ministry. It was simply time now to make a dramatic statement to the world. And what's more dramatic than a parade? So Jesus planned his triumphal entry parade into Jerusalem to demonstrate two things. The first thing is that he wanted to demonstrate an incredible claim. When Jesus came riding into town on the back of a donkey, he was claiming to be king. And no one would have doubted that. Today, the donkey is almost always the object of uh, jokes. But in that day and culture, the donkey was a noble beast. Yes, it was a beast of burden, but it was also the vehicle that kings rode into town when they came into a city in peace. When they came into the city during war, they rode, of course, on the back of a a war horse, on a charger. But when a king came in peace, he rode on the back of a donkey. Well, when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, he came not only to be a king, but the king, the king, the Messiah, God's anointed one, consciously fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah some 500 years before. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then the prophecy goes on. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus came riding into town on the back of a donkey, he was claiming to be the great king of peace. And he came as a king like no other. I've always liked that little detail that Jesus chose to ride on a donkey colt upon no one had ever ridden. In other words, he was a king 
like no other. Never has been, never will be. He was a king who was all about peace. He was claiming that in his person, God ruled in the world and in human hearts, and he would bring peace to the nations. As the king of peace, he came not to destroy, but to love, not to condemn, but to, but to help. Not in the might of arms, but in the strength of his love. So that first Palm Sunday parade was Jesus' dramatic way of saying, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I come to bring peace on the earth. I am worthy of your loyalty and your allegiance. So that parade, that parade was a demonstration of an incredible claim. But it was also a loving appeal. Because at that moment, as Jesus acknowledged the cheers of the crowd, he was looking for a throne. Not a political throne. Not a political kingdom. Not that kind of throne. But the throne in people's hearts and lives. Because you see, even at the last moment, just days before he was to be taken out to be crucified, Jesus was saying, I am the king. But am I your king? Will you now accept me as your Lord and king and enthrone me within your hearts? So by parading into the city as he did at that moment, he was giving people a chance to accept him or to reject him. In the triumphal entry, he was giving them another opportunity to decide. Will Jesus Christ be the Lord of my life? Will I allow him to reign over my hopes and dreams and ambitions? Will I give him the ultimate control of my personal life, of my family life, my business life? My social life? Will I acknowledge the authority of Jesus' words and will I actually obey them, putting them into practice? Will I grant Jesus' kingdom authority over my thoughts and attitudes and actions? Will I try to follow him every day, every moment of my life? So that that parade Jesus orchestrated for himself was a demonstration of a loving appeal to the people he loved so much, an appeal for the throne in people's hearts. And yet even as he rode into Jerusalem, he knew that many would turn that appeal down. And for that reason, he wept as he approached the city. Sometimes we forget that about Palm Sunday. It was bittersweet, right? think it's all, you know, he's, here comes a king and everything is joy. But before he entered, he wept because he knew what was in store. He knew that many who were rejoicing and proclaiming him king would, would shout crucify him just a few days later. And these were people who were caught up in the enthousiasm and the excitement of the moment 
but there was no spiritual reality behind their praises. Their praise was hollow, merely superficial. Their hearts were not really in it. So they missed the significance of the parade. There were others in the crowd for whom Christ was not a king, but an intruder, a troublemaker. And they scowled rather than cheered as Jesus passed by. They correctly perceived Jesus to be a threat to their power, to their authority. He was a threat to their self-centered and self-righteous lifestyle. And, of course, Jesus was a threat. People take him that way. That's why so many people today are so hostile to him. They subconsciously know that that might be a change. Jesus liked to upset people's apple carts, right? Look what he did in the temple to the money changers a day after the parade. Christ's invitation of love came to, to them too, to those scoffers. But the appeal fell on deaf ears and hardened hearts. And then there were all the people who were indifferent, didn't even bother to see the parade. You see, uh, most of the people who were waving palm branches or throwing their garments before Jesus, uh, well, they were still at heart indifferent. It's been estimated, I don't know if this is right, but it's been estimated that at the time of the Jewish Passover, there would have been 2 million people in, uh, in the city of Jerusalem. I don't know about that. Just where would people be? <laughs> there weren't enough hotels in Jerusalem. That must have been quite a tent city, but I've heard that figure. Two million people. I doubt if there were two million people lining the parade route to see Jesus coming in. In fact, by, in that scale, there would have been really just a handful of people, many of them his own disciples, who were there lining the parade route. The vast majority of people were busy about their, about their life. They were more concerned about the price of wheat and the, and the Roman occupation than they were about this popular preacher come to town. So that even if they had heard the news about this popular teacher, I think most of them couldn't care less. They were just too busy with their pursuits, with their life. And so Luke comments on this with, with the sad words. This is the, one of the saddest sentences in the whole Bible. They knew not the time of God's coming. They knew not the time of God's visitation. They missed out on the opportunity of their lives. God was visiting them in the person of Jesus, but they didn't care. They let the moment pass. The parade came and went, and life went on as usual. The original Palm Sunday parade gave people one more chance to respond to the king. And that parade was for you and for me because Jesus is still passing by in your life and mine. 
giving us one more chance to say, yes, I want what you offer, or no, deal me out. You know, deal or no deal. But not to decide is to decide. Jesus Christ, in his message, there is always a sense of urgency. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks this up in his letter to the Corinthians. I tell you, now is a time of God's favor. Now is a day of salvation. Don't let the moment pass. And not one of us knows if we're even going to be alive tomorrow. This life is a flash in the pan. What's most important, what's most central? Is Jesus Christ Lord of my life? Is he enthroned in my heart? Do I know him? Do I trust him? Do I stake my very life upon him? And that is what will matter in the end. Will you and I realize the time of God's visitation and make Christ the King and Lord of our life? That really is kind of the central question of our lives. So, even now, Jesus is riding by us, offering his appeal of love. And the good news is that it's not too late. He's appealing for a throne. But the throne he wants is in your heart and mine. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that too often we're ruling our own lives, and we wonder why we end up with such pain and heartache and trouble. We're running the show rather than you. Help us to understand that as we obey you as king, we experience perfect freedom and all the blessings of life as you intended life to be. So come, Lord Jesus, Lord over us. Be our king in spirit and in truth. Hosanna, glory to you in the highest. Amen.